0: Welcome to church this morning. It's fantastic to see you all here. Uh, A special welcome to those of you who are visiting with us. My name's Alon. I'm one of the elders here. And uh, we'd like to wish you a happy Christmas. Kids, are you enjoying Christmas? Oh, that's Silent Night. Kids, are you enjoying Christmas? Yes. Yeah, that's fantastic. All right. It's wonderful to have a holiday to be able to celebrate the coming of our Lord Jesus. And it's wonderful to begin such a holiday. by gathering together as the people of God to be able to celebrate him, to worship him in song and to meditate upon his word. Let's begin with prayer. Father, as the angel brought tidings of great joy, so we pray that you might carry tidings to our heart today. The joy that comes from beholding the birth of the Eternal One, the incarnation of the Divine. Let our hearts ponder and exult and rejoice in all your gracious provision for us that you sent your very son into the world that we might have light and life help us we pray that we might not reduce christ to fit the season but expand the season to be befitting of christ help us to grasp not just a baby in a manger but the baby who was the son of man the son of god the covenant with abraham the davidic king the suffering servant the Emmanuel, the word the messiah the light the way the truth and the life the Alpha and Omega. Amen. So, two weeks ago, we saw Jesus as the new beginning for the people of God. We read through Matthew and we saw that Jesus is our Saviour. He's the one who rescues us from our greatest enemy, that is, our sin. He is our Emmanuel. He is the one who restores to us what was lost at the fall. He brings to us the presence of God in Himself. Then last week, Matt preached from the book of Matthew, and we saw Jesus as our king, our true king, not like the British monarchy, which has little to do with our life, but a king who wants to be completely sovereign and ruling over our life, and not like the despot kings that we see so many of, but the perfectly beneficent and loving king who yet calls for our allegiance. So fair to say we've covered a lot of ground, and fair to say there is a lot of ground still to be covered. We haven't even read yet of heavenly choirs or of shepherds watching their fields at night. We haven't seen Mary and Joseph on the road to Bethlehem. We haven't seen a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths and laid in a manger because there is no room at the inn. As I hopped into the car two weeks ago, Kerry asked me what scripture we'd be examining this morning. And when I replied that uh, we would be looking at John chapter 1, she looked at me with a curious smile and with an inquisitive tone she responded, But John doesn't have a Christmas narrative. There's no angels, there's no shepherds, there's no wise men, there's no baby. And perhaps some of you are thinking similar as we read the passage this morning. Perhaps it's not the first go-to. But I thought this would be a very profitable passage for us to consider this morning. You see, John writes to those who are well-versed in the Christmas narrative, but he desires to take them deeper. If you like, it is the theological masterclass in Christmas. These five verses here are simple but they're very profound and again we're not going to have opportunity to explore them in their entirety but I pray this morning that we might be able to glean something of a fresh vision of Christ grasping as it were even the corner of his robe that our hearts might rejoice and exalt in him today. Now to all the children out there it is fantastic to see your smiling faces in church and you can count yourselves blessed because someone has saw fit to bring you to church this morning so that you can hear about Jesus, your Lord. So you can thank God for that. This message that I'm about to bring is not just for the adults, okay? It's for you guys as well. I'm going to tell you four things about Jesus, four things that Jesus is, and I want you to see if you can identify them and remember them, okay? And there's every possibility that after the service, some adults might randomly quiz you. Got it? Okay, to make it easier, I'll give you the first one now, okay? Jesus is our God. You got that one, guys? You just gotta find three more and remember them. I forgot that I'm doing the cookie. All right, let's begin. In the beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And this is how the best selling book of all time begins. This is Genesis 1 1. This is, this is the beginning of the Bible. And it's hard, or, or dare I say, it, it's impossible to outdo such a weighty task, such a weighty beginning. But as the Old Testament closes and the New Testament writers begin to detail a new chapter in the story of God and his dealings with mankind, the Holy Spirit so prompts John to write his gospel that is, the account of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit prompts John to begin his gospel in this way. In the beginning, in the beginning was the word. And this beautiful use of language echoes that of Genesis and suggests to us, even shouts to us, that the significance of the coming of Jesus is on par with the very creation of the world. As we saw two weeks ago, Matthew goes some way to allude to the creation account by beginning his book, Biblos Genesos, literally the book of Genesis. Well, here, John goes further and he begins, Enache, literally, in beginning. This is a translation of the Hebrew title of the first book of the Bible, but it is also a mimic of the actual beginning of the, the Bible, the actual John. Uh, sorry, Genesis one. I won't quote you the original manuscripts, but um, for the original reader, the similarity is even closer than it is in English. So much so that the mimicry might suggest, if you knew Greek, you might begin to conclude that the word, which John will specify in verse 18, is Jesus, you might begin to conclude that the word equates to and is encapsulated in the Father. It is none other than the Father himself. And so with the second clause of this sentence, John differentiates the word, namely Jesus, God the Son, He differentiates him from the Father. The word was with God. That is, the word is not a second name for God the Father, but a distinct entity alongside God the Father, a distinct entity unified with the Father. And now we come to the third clause in the opening sentence, and this is the stunning climax. In the first clause, in the beginning was the word, Jesus is identified as existing before time began and in being involved in the creative work of God. In the second clause, and the Word was with God, he's identified to be in relationship with and accompaniment to the Father. And now in the third clause, he is identified to be God. And the Word was God. Not the God as though he is the entirety to the exclusion of the Father and the Spirit, nor a God, as though we have many gods. But no less than the Father or the Spirit, the Son too shares in the one divine nature of being God, united with the Father and with the Spirit. And so the divinity of Jesus is here emphasised and will be emphasised and explored time and time again as you read through the Gospel of John. The Gospel of Mark is the earliest of our accounts, Mark, that is, um, of the life, death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. Mark gets straight to the crux of the matter, pardon the pun. He skips the birth narrative altogether. He proceeds with pace through the ministry of Jesus and he gets to the cross and there he dwells. So much so that Mark can be described as a crucifixion narrative with an extended preamble. And there's a lesson here for us. Christmas is not the greatest event in the Christian calendar. No, Resurrection Sunday is. Christmas is only significant because the cross was. But that's more for April, really. We'll get to that later in the coming year. Along come Matthew and Luke to write their Gospels. Matthew writes to a Jewish audience, and as we saw, he traces the uh, line of Jesus back to David and back to Abraham, and he shows that Jesus is the fulfillment of the hope of Israel. Luke writes to a Gentile audience, and so he traces his genealogy all the way back to Adam. Adam, the great great grandfather of all of us here today, Jew and Gentile. And so he shows Jesus as the Son of Man and the Savior of all mankind. John was the last to write, and here's where we are today. He writes to a people like you and me, to those who are well acquainted with the narrative, they've already heard of wise men and shepherds, angels and a manger. He writes to people like you and me, whose danger is not ignorance, but irreverence. He writes to those who are at risk of overlooking the very deity of Jesus Christ. And so the deity of Jesus, which I might add, is both amply and explicitly mentioned in the other Gospels as well, the deity of Christ is here portrayed with burning intensity. And why? Because if you do not appreciate the deity of Jesus, you do not truly appreciate Christmas. And you know nothing of Christianity. This Christmas, I want you to consider the question what do you make of this Jesus? Who is he to you? That he was a man who lived in the first century? Well, to my knowledge, not even the staunchest of atheists deny this one. That he was a great moral teacher. Muhammad, Gandhi, Oprah well, all of them agree. And so do I. But we can't stop there. We need to go further. Have you ever pondered that the baby lying in the manger is the very creator of the heavens and the earth? He is with God and is God, and by him time began and the world was created. He placed the very stars in the sky, and by him we are presently sustained, and by him we can enjoy life forevermore. And indeed, those of us who will believe in him not just as a historical figure, not just as a moral teacher, but those of us who will fall to our knees and cry out, as did Thomas, my Lord and my God. These will enjoy eternal life. What do you make of this Jesus? What do you make of the child laying in a manger? It's my pleasure to be able to explore the scripture together with you this morning. Firstly, The child in the manger is God, and thereby he is our creator. How do we see this here in this passage of Scripture? Evidently, we know that God is the creator of all things, and we would deduce that if Jesus is God, then somehow he is involved in the creation process, but that which we would have otherwise assumed is here made explicit. Jesus is here called the Word. And we remember in Genesis that everything was created by God's Word, Let's read some examples. And God said, Let there be light. And God said, Let there be an expanse. And God said, Let the waters. And God said, and God said. And it goes on and on until finally, then God said, Let us make man in our image. And so God spoke. And so it came into being. And so creation was completed by the word of God. And here the Bible teaches that Jesus was both present and active in the beginning. Indeed, through the word, Jesus, to read from verse 3 of of John chapter 1, all things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. The one God, sorry, the one who is God, God the Son, and yet distinct from God, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit, but nonetheless perfectly unified with them and partaking of the same nature, he's involved in creation. Is it any wonder, then, that God says in Genesis, let us make man in our image? Note the plural. Perhaps this is all a little heavy for Christmas morning. And yes, I know, you've got to get home, you've got to get Christmas lunch sorted, and there are presents, and there are children, and there's family... But can I ask you to pause this Christmas and to remember the child in the manger? What do you make of this child laying in a manger? He is your very creator. He is the very reason that you exist. Let's continue. Secondly, the child in the manger is God. And pay attention to this one, kids. There's two points. And he is our life and our light. In him was life. Now, this is a profound statement. At a basic level, Jesus is not only the author of life, the initiator of it, but he's also the sustainer of it. Life is in him. Your life, my life, everyone's life. In Hebrews, we discern that the continuation of the very universe is dependent upon the uninterrupted, sustaining power of Christ. And so we read, He upholds the universe by the word of his power. In Colossians, similarly, we read that in him all things hold together. Have you ever sat up at night pondering what keeps the universe from suddenly exploding in a giant fireball of glorious entropy? Or perhaps you wonder what it is that keeps the seven octillion atoms in your body from spontaneously suddenly tearing themselves apart due to the incompatible positive charges in their nucleus. Maybe maybe I'm the only one who wonders those sorts of things, okay? (laughs) That's entirely possible. But the simple answer to both of these quandaries is Jesus. Now for the odd one or two of you who don't want to spend Christmas afternoon curled up on the couch reading a textbook about quantum mechanics, to put it in simple terms, your very life began and continues and will continue by the sustaining power of Jesus Christ. And that is something that you can curl up on the couch this afternoon and ponder. But while the general life-sustaining providence of God is an elementary foundation to this verse, the verse has something in focus more yet, okay? You'll see it goes on to say, in him was life and this life was the light of men. There is something deeper here than the provision of rain and crops. There is something deeper here even than the mysterious nuclear forces that bind the nucleus in our atom together. You see, the whole of this life, again, your life, my life, the life of every person on this planet, the whole of life is lived under the shadow of our undeniable mortality. This shadow hovers over each one of us. You can try and ignore it, but it's never going to go away. But, but the life found in Christ is such that it is the light of men. For that life is sufficient to conquer the futility of our mortality and even dispel the shadow of death. And I don't mean to dampen your festive spirit this morning by mentioning the D word, but I want to bring you good news. I want to tell you that the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And when you appreciate this, your whole being rejoices. The child in the manger is God, and he is our light. Jesus is our light. As we are in him, our path becomes clear. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is our light, and in him our lives are transformed. Jesus said, while you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of the light. And Jesus is our light precisely because he is our very life. And it here reads, and the life was the light of men. That is, he is our life, if we choose faith, if we choose belief. And so we read, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For the saint, though the heart stop and the breath cease, there is yet life eternal and inseparable. There is a life that will never go out. This is a message of incredibly good news and I hope it brings you joy and rejoicing this Christmas. What do you make of the child lying in the manger? Have you accepted him by faith as both your life and your light? In closing then, as you go home today and you see the nativity set on display, let not its familiarity distract you from its revolutionary significance. Let not its physicality distract you from its spiritual significance the child in the manger is our messiah and as jesus gave sight to the blind man so too he can bring light to your eyes and as jesus raised lazarus from the dead so too can he bring life to your soul and yet even though he was the light in this dark world the darkness we read did not comprehend it It rebelled against the light. At the cross, the darkness rebelled, but it did not overcome. But at the cross, God overcame. God completes his rescue mission. Sin is defeated. Death is defeated. Life is won. And light shines forth eternal. And we can say, hallelujah, glory be to God. What do you make of this baby in a manger? For the light shines, but it shines not for all. Reading verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. If Jesus is your light, your life, your Lord, your King, your God, can I encourage you to celebrate him today, celebrate his coming, celebrate all the blessings that you have in him. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope The weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Amen. If you are yet in the darkness and you hunger for the light, I want to bring you good news this morning. I want to bring you good news, for the light has come and the light shines in the darkness. Will you receive the light this Christmas? Let us pray. Father, that you would send your son, we cannot comprehend it. That he endured the humility of the nativity and the agony of the cross, we cannot comprehend it. Lead our hearts into the joyful praise that is fitting for a people who have been rescued from darkness and brought into the light, into the glorious light, rescued from certain death and brought into eternal life. We give you honour and we give you praise and we give you glory. Our hearts rejoice and exult in you this morning. We remember and try and grasp even a fraction of the love that you have displayed for us. We worship you. For you have done it, O Lord, and it is marvellous in our eyes. Amen. Please stand with us as we sing our next.